0: Good morning, Watermark. How are you all doing this morning? All right. Okay, good. My name is Jeff Ward. I lead our outreach missions, our external focus ministries is what we call them here. And we are so glad that you guys are here today to wrap up week three of this Politically Correct series. We're going to be diving in and we are going to be tackling some issues here this morning in a kind of a new way, a new format that I hope will be helpful for you. So As you guys know, over the last several weeks, we've been getting questions from you through text and email and other things. And we have been sort of putting those into the sermons. And this week, we've taken some of the topical questions from you guys, and we've put them into three buckets. And then we've invited three friends up in just a minute to talk about each one of those buckets. We're going to talk about abortion and life this morning. We're going to talk about health care. And we're going to talk about immigration And so we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive, but not too much because there's only so much we can do with the time that we have. So more of a flyover, but we want to help sort of frame the issues for you guys. We want to talk about the scripture that informs those issues. We want to help you just practically as you cast your ballot, if you haven't already, around what does this mean for me as a voter going into the, you know, to fill out the ballot. And then fourthly, how can we just engage in some of these issues beyond the election? So I hope uh, you guys are ready and we're going to buckle up. And um, I'd also say before we start, if there's, I know that there are other issues that you guys care about, that you wrote in about, and I would just encourage you to go to watermark.org slash vote. JD just told you about that. There's resources there. There's actually one pagers on many of the topics that have been put together to help you. Lots of resources there. There's a community resource called Christians Engaging in Politics to work through God's means of grace in your life, which is community. Uh, And then there's a racial reconciliation guide, also designed for small groups. That has been a huge issue at the forefront of our election and for our community in general. So that's all there for you and would highly encourage you to go there. I know many groups this week are working their way through that. So as we talk this morning, as we work through these three buckets with our three friends, I want you to think of like three lenses as we look at these issues. The first one is we want to think biblically. We want to understand the priority and the importance of God's word as being our primary source of information around everything, but especially these topics that we're going to talk about today. We don't go to a cable news source. We don't go to a print media source. We definitely don't go to social media as our primary source of information around these. We want to find out where God's word has clearly staked a position. It's there. Does it always tell us how to get there? And so you might be even struggling with, well, one candidate really falls more in line with where scripture I think falls, this other candidate falls more in line with where scripture, I think scripture falls on this other issue. Those are nuances then that we have to work through as we vote responsibly, which is the second thing. We want to do the work of researching the issues, understanding where the candidates fall. And even last week, I downloaded the sample ballot so that I could understand not just who was running for the White House, but all the na- names down that ticket. And so to understand who they are, if there's any special issues on that ballot, and just do the hard work of understanding the issues and the candidates. Discuss fully with your community. Just talked about that and kind of work out the nuances of of that sort of thing. And then lastly, we just want to steward our vote in a way where we can uh, stand before the Lord and give an account for our faithfulness and how we stewarded that opportunity that we have as a democratic republic to vote. So, we want to do that. We want to think biblically. We want to vote responsibly. And then, lastly, we want to engage missionally. So, we want to understand that these are not just election concerns, these are real issues facing real people across our community today, well before this election and will be well after. And so, how do we then, as we are thinking and awaiting the return of our Savior, as we know that we are citizens of heaven? But at the same time, we've got work to do here. How do we engage these issues well beyond the election? So as I introduce our panel, I'll invite them up. Uh, First, we have Bruce Kendrick, who is our Director of Life Initiatives and Family Restoration here to talk about life. I think you're going to really enjoy what he has to say. Christy Shermack, who is our Director of Watermark Health Initiatives, which includes our two standalone clinics and our mobile clinic. And works with medical professionals across our body and Works with people across the community and meeting healthcare needs. And then Jermaine Harrison, who is our director of high school ministry, Shoreline is what we call it. And so he's here to talk about immigration, a little bit of his personal journey, and I think you're gonna be blessed by all of it. So let's start with the most important work, which is prayer. And so, Jermaine, why don't you lead us out?
1: Let's do it. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for life and health and strength. And thank you for this opportunity that we have to open your word and to remind ourselves of what's true. And to use the principles uh, in your word to inform how we should think and and vote and and engage with our world. And so thank you. Lord, be with us. I pray that if there's anyone here or listening, watching online that does not know you, that today would be the day that they they come to know you as Lord and personal Savior. We love you. In Jesus' name. amen. Amen. Amen.
0: Terrific. Let's just jump in, Bruce. So, uh, as we know, abortion is always at the forefront of our election cycle issues that we talk about. Um, we're almost midway through a new Supreme Court nominee in her confirmation process, and so there's been lots of questions about Roe v. Wade, the 1973 seminal decision around abortion. And so, could you just help us? And also, too, I'd say in the last year and a half to two years, there's been states. And local jurisdictions enacting policies and procedures, you know, around abortion, restricting it or advancing it in some cases. And so could you just frame up for us sort of the challenge that we're facing as a country on this issue?
2: Yeah. Uh, So let me start by saying every time we bring this up, uh, it feels like we would be remiss to not address the fact that this isn't just about policies. This is about actual people and lives. And so if you're a woman or a man who's in the room or watching online at home or just picking this up, you know, on social media, you know, two weeks from now or something... Uh, I think what, what often happens is there's this sort of voice of condemnation and this voice of shame that says, hey, remember uh, that abortion's a part of your story, that there's, there, there's this, somehow this exception, this unforgivable sin that Christ didn't die for, and yet um, you're surrounded by people in this room who know what it is to be forgiven, uh, not because we are righteous, uh, as Psalm 103 says, it, it talks about how God doesn't deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities, that he separates our sin as far as the East is from the West. And so, I mean, we want to invite you in to experience that kind of forgiveness and that kind of freedom. Uh, and yet, at the same time, as we talk about this, we are talking about our role as the church in holding the government accountable to its role, uh, which is primarily to protect injustice. And so, I want to kind of frame up. A few things around the current situation. And first is just statistically kind of where we are. So, since 1973, and certainly there were abortions before that, but since 1973, 60 million preborn human beings have been murdered through abortion. And to just, I realize that statistics can kind of, you know, just, you can glaze over with those. Uh, But to give you some comparison, Uh, That is the equivalent of today's state populations of Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Arkansas, Missouri, Kansas, Colorado, and New Mexico. If you were to take the entirety of the populations of those states and wipe them off the face of the earth, that is what we've done through abortion. Secondly, abortion today is really going DIY. DIY. So it's a do-it-yourself, you can, it's not legal per se, but you can hop on the internet, you can order a script for abortion pills from a doctor in India and have them shipped to your front door. Uh, there are also organizations that are funding the development of at-home abortion kits. Hmm. Uh, and so that's not like sometime in the future, that's being developed right now. And then the last thing that I'd say is, um, we say this a lot, words have meaning, ideas have consequences, and bad ideas have victims. And abortion is one of those things that's been rebranded time and time again. Initially, it was talked about as family planning uh, or birth control. Uh, then it was women's rights. Then it was health care. We still hear a lot about that. And then now it's reproductive justice. Uh, and who doesn't want to be against that, right? I even heard recently a pastor say something to the effect of we have to care about abortion for the preborn and abortion for the postborn. And as I just kind of pondered that, I went, "Gosh, man, that is that is a crazy way to raise the value of other issues beyond the life issue, because no other issue is being dealt with. No other human beings on the planet are being dealt with like the preborn in the scale that they are being um, terminated." And so uh, that's something that as we think about politics, as we think about this election, if you're wondering, like, why does the church keep making a big deal of this? That's it. That's why. So, Bruce, we
0: know we're created in God's image. We know that God knit us together in the womb. Um, But are there places in Scripture where you would say the Bible actually holds up a legal standard that protects both the mom and the preborn in the
2: same way? Yeah. So... Exodus 21, 22 through 25, and before I kind of quote that, I would, I would tell you, I hear a lot of people, and, and not necessarily completely wrong in this position, but talking about the reduction of abortion. How do we reduce abortion? While that is a, a component of this, the, the primary component's not how do we reduce abortion, the, the primary component is how do we provide equal protection for every human being on the planet, uh, and specifically in our country. So, Exodus 21, 22 through 25 says that if two people are fighting and they strike a pregnant woman, causing her to give birth prematurely, but there's no serious injury, you're to have them pay a fine for whatever the husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you're to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. And that in that passage, even though we're not Israel and so we don't follow the Mosaic law in the same ways that God was intending Israel when he's setting that nation up, there's a biblical precedent and principle there for us to follow that we recognize that every human being from the point of fertilization to the point of death requires equal protection under our laws. So then help us just
0: move practically now as we walk into the voting booth. How can we, what do we think about these things?
2: Yeah, so one, you're not just voting for president. Uh, Most of the pro-life legislation that happens happens because of state legislators who are weighing in on those issues. And so when you've heard of heartbeat bills and pain-capable bills and um, a number of different other things that have been tried, that have been struck down at the federal court level, those federal courts have judges who are appointed by the president, which is why that, that position is so important. But even recently, uh, here in the state of Texas, well, 2013, uh, we put forward legislation that effectively said, hey, if the abortion industry wants to treat itself as healthcare, then it should maintain the same standards as the medical industry does. And yet, because of Roe v. Wade, they get this kind of weird uh, loophole that it's not. It's not done that way. Um, And so certainly there are other states that have expanded abortion recently. Uh, New York and Virginia expanded abortion all the way until birth. And uh, Delaware even said, hey, we want to reduce abortion. And so they effectively prescribed um, long-term birth control uh, to women who were of childbearing age that did not want to be pregnant to prevent them from getting pregnant. And so we seriously have to raise the question of, as believers, what are the implications of saying we're going to fund birth control for you, especially if that birth control is an abortifacient? And I'll let you look up abortifacient on your own, uh, as well as eugenics and some of those other things that contribute to the history of abortion and where we've come. But um, those are some of the things to think about when, when you're looking at people down ballot. And then uh, certainly at the presidential level, you've got kind of two primary issues, and that is uh, judicial nominees and funding. And so um, I, I also hear lots of people say, hey, is, is the president really doing anything to impact abortion in our country? The answer is yes. Straight up, yes. Um, So yes through judicial nominations, and then yes through funding. So the pro-choice candidates typically want to use taxpayer dollars to pay for abortions or connect, tie to abortions uh, here domestically, as well as tie it to foreign aid, um, which is another problematic issue. And then pro-life candidates are just the opposite. And and we've had and held that position for a long time. where We've said, no, we're not going to use our taxpayer dollars to fund those services, uh, either internationally and tie that to aid that's given or here domestically.
0: So I hear you saying it's really important who's in the White House, but also super important who's yeah. in the both the federal and the state legislature, because they're the ones that work out some of these laws that ultimately help protect the preborn.
2: Yeah, and I'm happy to unpack any of that. I realize there's more nuance and complexity yeah. to that. And personally, I've tried to find like, hey, is there a chance that you know, this This makes more sense. Mm-hmm. And weighed all those things out. And every time I, I find myself coming back to that equal protection issue that, yeah. that continues to kind of become secondary.
0: It's good. And so now follow, as followers of Christ, what, what can we do beyond the election to engage in
2: this topic? Yeah. Well, I've got the best job on our staff. I think I've shared that before. I don't know. But uh, I really do have the best. I've. Go up against either of you. Um, I've got the best job on our staff. And so I get to lead our efforts in caring for vulnerable women and men and children and families where they're getting removed into foster care, where they're experiencing generational cycles of addiction and poverty and violence. And uh, it is this incredible privilege as well to serve women and men with unexpected pregnancies and past abortions. And so I've got a picture of my friend Tia up here. Uh, Tia came and joined our unexpected pregnancy mentoring team and just said, hey, I want to walk alongside a woman who has an, uh, an unexpected pregnancy, help her make a choice for life, help her, help her care for that child, uh, that we're not just pro-birth. And um, we got a reference or a referral from the urgent care clinic for Ruth. And Ruth is from Nigeria. She's been here a couple of years. She's got three kids. She's married. She's a believer. But her husband was effectively saying, hey, we can't afford to have another child. I don't want to do this. You need to go get an abortion. And so, uh, in that immense pressure, Tia got to come alongside her back in January, walk with her, take her to parenting classes, uh, just exchange and build that relationship, and even introduce her to her first burrito here in, here in Texas. Which like is key. crazy, yeah. Uh, high value of Texas here. So um, they got to walk alongside each other, and Tia's pregnant now, and she would even say the relationship has built such that you wouldn't be able to even know if she was the mentor anymore or if Ruth was the mentor. Mm. That, like that's what it's supposed to look like. So um, in the event that you've heard that accusation before, that like you're only, you're a Christian, you're only pro-birth, you're not really pro-life, uh, I would just say you may not have been around here that long. <laughs> you, may, you may just be new here and because there are people getting after it. Tia is just one of many of those of you who have opened your homes, who have given of your families. And I know that I used to kind of like recoil from that accusation of like, gosh, maybe we are just pro-birth. And it's just not the case. We have historically been in the trenches with vulnerable populations as believers, as people of God, living out Proverbs 31, 8 through 9, which just says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And church, we have incredible opportunities. It is such a privilege to be alive right now, to be a part of God's people right now, Whether it's going through an equipping class, we've developed a deal called More Than Abortion so you could be biblically and biologically informed about pro-life issues. That you could think and articulate arguments that way and lovingly, winsomely care for those in need. Uh, We've got those of you who are stepping forward to foster and adopt and opening your homes. And there are 400, more than 400 kids who are waiting to be adopted from Dallas County right now. So there's work to be done. Don't hear me saying, it's like, hey, we've got this all wrapped up. Everybody can go home. There's work to be done. Engage. And for those of you who are like, okay, I'm, I'm voting for the pro-life candidate, that means that we're going to leave some things that aren't as prioritized. So we've got to jump into those things all the more.
0: Thank you so much, Bruce. Appreciate yes. that. And let's move now to health care. And Christy, you must have the second best job, I guess, on staff.
3: <laughs> That's debatable. Okay. That's debatable, Jeff. So
0: listen, we, we're hearing a lot, especially this election cycle around the Affordable Care Act around the 20 to 30 million Americans or so who might be out of healthcare if there wasn't that option. Could you just help us frame up this whole issue for the challenge facing our country?
3: Sure thing. So 2020 had a way of showing us very clearly some of the problems in our healthcare system. There's nothing quite like a global pandemic to point out some of the issues and some of the holes in the system that have been there for a while. And so, I think a lot of times when we have this conversation about healthcare, we have a couple misconceptions that weave their way into it. And so, before we can even start to critique the system, I think it's important to make sure we know what system we're talking about. And so, we've got a circle diagram here to show you. Healthcare is when these four areas overlap. A lot of times we think healthcare and we immediately jump to health insurance, and that's actually just one piece of the system. It's much more complicated than that. When you as a patient walk into a uh, clinic or somewhere to be seen, you're going to interact with those four things. Health insurance, you're going to interact with the medical provider, the doctor, the nurse, the healthcare worker that you're working with. You're going to interact with the medical technology or intervention. That could be as simple as you need to make lifestyle changes or it could be something all the way up to prescriptions or surgeries or procedures. And then the fourth area would be healthcare administration. So that would be the clinic, the hospital that's being run and offering that service. Technically, I am in healthcare administration because I run our clinics here at Watermark. And so I think it's important to make sure we understand that there are those four things interacting because each of those four things are bringing their own unique brokenness into the conversation. A lot of times when we talk through this, we oversimplify it and we see one problem and we try to fix that one problem in the wrong area where that problem's not even occurring. So I think that's the first misconception to make sure we understand a little bit better. The second would be, a lot of times in our political climate, we've simplified again this conversation to arguing, do we do more fully run government healthcare? So that would be all four pieces of that circle, are government run and government owned, versus do we have a fully privatized system in healthcare? And so that's just a false um, conversation that's happening in our heads. Our current system is all in the middle of that spectrum. So all four of those areas could be private, could be government run, could be charity run. And so if you think through that, you have... Lots, I'll do the math later, you have a ton of iterations of what healthcare could look like based on how you access it. You could go to a private hospital but have a public health insurance plan. And so it's a very complicated system where we're pursuing a lot of benefits by making it that diverse and complicated, but we're receiving all the negatives at the same time. And so that would be an overarching critique, but really to get down into the weeds, we have to look at each of those areas and what they are run by and what the positives and negatives of that could be.
0: So how should we think then about government versus private versus even church involvement mm-hmm. with, with access to healthcare?
3: Sure thing. So I think that's the million dollar question right now where we are spending time talking about how should the government be involved versus how should it not be involved. Um, one helpful way to evaluate who is going to do a better job in those areas would be to apply Blake's sermon from last week. So we talked about the government's role is to protect its citizens. So there are certainly things in healthcare that the government should be protecting us with. Um, primarily that there's some version of healthcare. And then the second thing would be that there is spots in healthcare where the church should be proclaiming the truth about who humans are and how much God matter, they matter to God. And so um, a helpful way to evaluate those different areas would be the image of a three-legged stool. So if you wanna imagine healthcare as a three-legged stool, it's got three legs that you wanna make sure are working to their full ability. The first would be the access to care, the second would be the quality of care, and then the third would be the ethics involved in that care. So right now in our country, we're debating a lot between the access and the quality of care. There's sometimes the narrative that if you increase access, you're going to lower quality. And that's what we're spending a lot of time talking about. How do you do those things and hold both of those values high? I will insert right here, access to care is probably one of the biggest issues in our current system. And if you've been lucky enough to never have to deal with lack of insurance, um, it's worth knowing that, hey, lack of insurance, lack of accessibility, lack of ability to pay for health care can ruin the lives of people. I would venture to guess there are people watching this, people listening today in the building that the inability in our system to access it in affordable ways has really hurt them. And so Uh, A lot of people who don't have insurance will end up not getting the preventative care they need, and then their minor issues will go on much longer and become much more emergent than they ever needed to be. And so this is a big area that we should be worried about and not just set aside and say that's somebody else's job to figure out. Well, the church should be involved in that, and we are. We have multiple medical clinics that step into that space to provide access. But really, where I'd want everyone to focus their attention on that stool would be the third leg, the ethics of the care involved. And so this is where I would say the church needs to be especially involved in the healthcare system so that when ethical issues arise, we actually have a voice or a seat at the table to steer the ship back on course. And so what do I mean by that? Healthcare, I would argue, is a holy profession. There's something beautiful and holy happening in the moment when someone who has innate dignity, value, and worth that God loves so much that he sent his son to die for them, they show up and they say, hey, my body is broken. I'm living on a broken earth. I need help. And a healthcare professional is stepping into that very holy space and offering suggestions, decisions, direction for better health. And so it's important to make sure that the church is involved in that conversation because it's riddled with ethical issues. So we already heard from Bruce about abortion. Uh, When does life begin? That is a huge ethical concern right now in healthcare. All the way to the other end of the spectrum. What does it look like to die with dignity? A lot of our country is talking about that is an ethical issue in healthcare. And then there's a million different things in between the conversation of when does life begin and when does it end um, that are real conversations that are being debated in our courts, such as when and how should providers have to provide hormone therapy treatments for people that wanna transition genders. So these are real things happening in our country today. This isn't some future what if concern. And so I would say the church needs to be involved in some format, no matter how you'd apply that to those four circles, the church needs to be involved in some format so we can speak into those very real issues.
0: It's good. One of the questions we also got was, is healthcare a universal human right? How should we as believers think about that?
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So I would, I would say very clearly, healthcare is not a right. Healthcare is a service that should be administered righteously. So healthcare is not a right. Healthcare is a service that should be administered righteously. So biblically, we know that we are all sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We have gone our own path. And when we did that, we lost rights to anything. We don't deserve anything. That's part of what makes God's grace so good, is that we don't deserve it. We did not earn it. Mm -hmm. And so I would say healthcare falls into that bucket where we don't necessarily have the right to it, but we do have a good God that has offered us common graces here on earth. So when good things happen here on earth to the general public, that's an example of God loving humanity so much that he lets things like good health and good healthcare happen. So as a believer... I wanna make sure as many people as possible experience that good common grace and that they get the chance to learn about the God who offered it to them. I think a lot of times when we ask the question, is healthcare right, really what we're doing is we're seeing the injustices in the system and we kind of ask this abstract question that almost makes it some conversation about somebody else over there and do they have a right or not. I think this reminds me of the story of the Good Samaritan. Early on in that story, you see Jesus conversing with some of his disciples. Some of the Pharisees are there. They talk about how the Old Testament law says that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And so one of the Pharisees says, okay, well then, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And he tells the whole story of the Good Samaritan, and then he changes the question at the end of it. He's no longer saying, who is my neighbor? He's saying, so tell me, everyone, who in this story was the good neighbor? So not who is my neighbor, what kind of neighbor are you being? I think it's the same with healthcare. The question isn't, is this a right? The question is, how am I doing, church, follower of Jesus, Christian, how am I doing at making sure healthcare is administered righteously in my nation? How am I doing at caring about the well being of the people around me, the neighbor around me, those in my city who don't have the desperate access that they need? And so I think that is the question that should keep us up at night, not, is it a right or not? That's
0: good. So, how can we as Christians then participate in that? How can we help be part of that solution?
3: So, historically, the church has had a very strong role in the healthcare system. We were the first in the early church to even create hospitals. We were notorious during the bubonic plague to stick around in the city when people were sick and dying. We went there to serve. Um, Even currently in the United States, there's a reason that most of our hospital systems have a Protestant link in their name back to that church. Now we can take an objective look and see over the last 50 years, there has been mission drift in a lot of those institutions. They don't look, smell, act, feel like the church at all anymore. And so over time, people have stopped seeing that service even as a church-provided service. And they're starting to say, hey, this thing isn't working anymore. Who else can help us? And they shift their focus over to the government. And so that's naturally happening in our country. And I think we can see some of the negatives of that when we take a look at England. England has a fully socialized system. That would be all four parts of that circle are government-run. And so you can go research the positives and the negatives of that. There are both. There are wins and losses anytime you pick a solution to something. But I think the thing the church should really zero in on is the fact that as England shifted to that system, it became very clear that the English people shifted their focus from looking to the church for their solutions to the government instead. So much so that um, formal uh, cabinet member for Margaret Thatcher, Nigel Lawson, famously said the NHS, the National Health Service there, is the closest thing that the English people have to a religion. And so as a follower of Christ, I want to make sure in the United States of America, the closest thing that the people have to a religion is not a healthcare system. It's God and following Christ in the church. And so as a part of that, that is why I'm so stinking proud of this church, is because we have not willingly walked away from the system. We have not left a vacant hole there. I know there are hundreds, if not thousands of members at this church that work in healthcare and in the middle of a really difficult year have shown up in and out, um, being day by day, making sure that they are representing Christ in their industry, and so way to go. We are so proud of you, and we're thankful for your service. And then, yeah, you can clap for them. They deserve it, some of my heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, the second the second thing this church has corporately said we're gonna step into this space and so you're seeing some of the pictures of our clinics behind me we have multiple locations where we see over 11,000 patients annually that do not have insurance and we're not slowing down we're adding to that number every single year and so we are stepping into a very real need in our city and while we're in the middle of that need providing COVID testing running towards the the weary the vulnerable we are also getting the chance to engage them spiritually and I would say self care right or privilege, that is the privilege. The privilege is the church showing up in the city, caring for a true need and seeing God at work in the middle of it.
0: That's good. Thank you so much, Christy. Uh, okay, so we got the best job on staff, the holiest <laughs> of professions. Here we go, Jermaine. It's a hard act to follow, But let's talk about immigration for a minute. So uh, this is a huge issue. We know our administration holds strong opinions around legal immigration, illegal immigration. We know it's not just a national issue. It's a state issue because we are a border state. It's a Metroplex issue because we actually, not many people realize we resettle more refugees here in the Metroplex than any other place in the country. Um, we've got international students that are here that are being educated and uh, you know learning and then uh, will return to their countries as leaders and influencers. And we have UTD down the road with 8,500 international students. They're ninth in the country, I believe. And so this is an issue that's front and center for us. And so could you just help frame up the challenge for us around the topic of immigration?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. Well, this topic is very complex, as you can imagine, or as you you already know. And I want to, like, distill it down to... Probably the core of the problem that, I, that I've seen is that many people, many Christians feel like they have to choose a side when it comes to the issue of, of immigration. To choose either care and compassion on the one hand or submission to and respect for laws on the other hand. And, and so there's this, there's this feeling, this challenge that we face where it's like, man, do I want to be marked as someone who cares and has compassion for immigrants? Or do I want to be someone that... Uh, you know, obeys and follows the law of the land. And I'm here to share with you from God's word that it is possible to have both, to have a well-balanced biblical perspective of care and compassion for the immigrant while at the same time submission to and respect for laws that are meant to um, preserve our land and to protect our citizens and to allow for human flourishing. And so to that end, they've invited uh, an immigrant on stage to help set the stage for that. And in the words of Lin-Manuel Miranda in Alexander Hamilton, immigrants, we get the job done. All
0: right, there you go. So now tell us a little bit, how does God's word inform This topic. How should we be thinking about this biblically?
1: Yeah, I think that when most people uh, form their policy or their perspective on immigration and and immigrants, they don't necessarily look to God's word. They might look to social media or to the news or elsewhere. But God's word is full of guidance for us. Specifically in the Old Testament where God establishes his covenant people, the nation of Israel. Now we are not the nation of Israel and we we don't abide necessarily by the, the Mosaic law. But there are practical principles that God weaved into how that nation was to function that is helpful for us today as we think and and talk about this issue of immigration. And so I want to share with you a couple of biblical principles that I think are helpful uh, for this discussion. And the first of it is this, is that the story of redemption, the story of our redemption is filled with immigrants, and what I mean by that is, when you look in the Bible, you go all the way back to Genesis, when Abraham is called by God to a land that he does not know. Abraham was called to be an immigrant, right? And wh- wherever he went, he would ask for permission to stay there, to dwell in the land, and to cultivate faithfulness. And so Abraham was an immigrant, and we move on in the story. And Joseph, he was forcibly made an immigrant, right, to the nation of Israel, when his brothers sold him into into slavery. And we move on further into the lineage of Jesus and we uh, read the story of Ruth, the Moabite woman who chose to be an immigrant to the nation of Israel to love and serve her mother-in-law. And then we go further on to Jesus himself who was running for his life along with his parents because of the death threat on his life because of, uh, of King Herod. And so those are just a few examples, but all throughout scripture it is clear that, that, that immigrants are, are all around the story of God's redemption for us. So that's the first principle. The second one I want to share is that God's heart is for the immigrant. And so he invites followers of Jesus, those of us who've placed our faith and trust in him. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope you become one because it's awesome. But God's heart is for the immigrant and he invites followers of Jesus... To care, to care for, and to show compassion toward immigrants. And we see one example of that that I want to mention in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 and 34. It says, when a stranger sojourns, so being a legal immigrant, someone who's asked for permission to be there... Footnote, there are a couple of different words used for immigrant in the Old Testament. This is just one of them, and you can uh, research the others. But specifically, this is talking about uh, a legal immigrant to the nation of Israel. It says, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God's heart is for the immigrant. And our heart should be as well. And the third principle I want to share is that God's word is clear. That everyone, including immigrants, should obey the law of the land. And so when these uh, sojourners were to become a part of the nation of Israel, there were certain laws and customs that they were expected to follow. And so we see an example of that in Numbers chapter 15, verses 15 and 16, where it says, "...there shall be one statute for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you, a statute forever throughout your generations." You and the sojourner shall be alike before the law, the Lord. One law and one rule shall be for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you. In other words, an immigrant or a citizen of the nation of Israel were supposed to abide by the laws and customs of the land. And similarly, by extension, uh, immigrants and citizens of our country are supposed to abide by the laws of the land. And and we have an opportunity to care for immigrants that come here and not not, uh, take advantage of them because maybe we can uh, get them to do the same job that a citizen would do for way cheaper. There's so many things that God's word is calling us to be careful about in this, in this idea that it's, it's very clear that we should obey the law of the land, all of us, citizens and immigrants. Good. So we don't want to waste
0: our shot. When we go into, see what I did there? To the the voting booth.
2: You're awarded
1: no points.
0: So, but how do these biblical principles now, how do we, when we walk in and we vote, how should we be thinking?
1: Yeah, I think what you said up top is very helpful for all of us, that we should think biblically. What does God's word, first of all, have to say specifically or by way of principle, what does God's word have to say about this um, issue? And then we should vote responsibly and specifically on the issue of immigration. We should vote for candidates who will write into law uh, caring and compassionate laws and policies that benefit both citizens and immigrants, and so it's very important for us to do our homework and look into that and, and uh, vote for those candidates.
0: It's good, and so these are not just abstract principles for you, right? I mean, you've lived this, you know, in your immigration journey. So, could you just share with us a little bit about the last ten years for you and what that process has been like?
1: Absolutely. So, to set that up, I want to show you a picture of myself back in 2010, leaving my home island of Saint Martin. Uh, <laughs> that picture—I look as 2010 as you possibly can in there. <laughs> um, I have a, a, a white undershirt under my pole, I have a blackberry, all this stuff. So I was moving from St. Martin to, to go to seminary here in Dallas uh, with a suitcase full of books and one full of uh, uh, shoes and one full of clothes. And so, man, the Lord uh, brought me to this place and my story of immigration is one of many, there's some people that come here uh, literally running for their lives, you know, refugee and asylum seekers. And there are people that come here looking for um, just better opportunity or, or better education. And so for me, over the last 10 years, I've applied for student visas and multiple work visas and most recently, uh, a green card. And that process is long and exhausting and uncertain and expensive. Specifically, man, the application fees, the travel, lawyer costs, all of those Things for me personally over the last 10 years have amounted to around $20,000. And um, man, I've been Uh, gracious enough and by God's sovereignty have been surrounded by a great support system here at this church and have been able to um, provide for myself with some of those costs. Um, But many immigrants probably don't have 20,000 just chilling in a bank waiting to use it on immigration proceedings. And so I think it's just helpful um, for you guys to know That this process can be extremely long, like years and years and years of waiting, um, is extremely uncertain. There are many times even in my own uh, process where um, things could have gone either way for me. And that it's really expensive as well. Mm.
0: So in addition to voting, how would you encourage us, monish us to be involved in this topic beyond November 3rd?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the first thing I would say is Pray. Um, it sounds cliche but it is the most important thing that we can do to pray for our elected officials um, because like we said at the front this, this topic is is so complex right and if it was easy it would have been solved and we would have been good by now but it's not and so we should be praying for those who are writing those laws or enacting those laws to, to be marked by care and compassion as well so pray um, for elected officials secondly I would say um, build relationships with immigrants you know in this in This uh, church, we have around 70 different nations represented. And so that's a great opportunity right here or next door to you or at your workplace to um, begin conversations and and build friendships with people um, who are from all across the world. Like God has brought here um, to to be a a friend to you and an opportunity to minister and serve. Uh, Third, I would say to increase knowledge. like Do some research. Like what is DACA? What does it mean when we hear them talking about policies like catch and release or zero tolerance. What are those things? Um, It's very helpful to just stay informed rather than just seeing the graphic images on, you know, social media or on the news and and forming an opinion that way. And lastly, I would say um, to serve here through Watermark. Like we have a ministry to Watermark International students that we get to love and serve and build relationships with them. We have a partner organization we call For the Nations that we get to serve with to help refugees with um, learning English and Bible studies and different opportunities like that. Um, You can also partner um, with our, our, our ministry partner, Compassion International in El Salvador, where we are on the front lines of helping the church and the community there to help those communities flourish to where... Um, those folks who are fleeing um, for their lives can have a better opportunity to flourish in their land. Terrific. Thank you so much.
0: Hey, would you join me in thanking our panel? It's awesome. Thank you, Jeremy. All right. Well, listen, let's let's just end where we started. So we want to Think biblically, right? Remember we want to go back to scripture as God's wisdom, his authority, our guide. It's important that we start there because scripture does stake out some positions on these topics and so many others. And so that's where we start. And then we vote responsibly. So we do the hard work of rolling up our sleeves and understanding then uh, where the candidates are on these issues and uh, these topics. And we pray for wisdom and discernment. We take a deep breath and we walk in to the voting booth and we fill out those ballots in a way that we can stand before the Lord and be accountable for our faithfulness with the stewardship of the vote. And then lastly, we want to engage missionally. So while we do our best to think biblically and we vote responsibly, we must engage missionally. And these are challenges that face our community here and now. They've been here before the election and they'll be here after the election. And while we are citizens of heaven and we learned that week one of this series and we're awaiting the return of our Savior, we've got work to do right here. Assault and light. We're commanded to love and care for our city to seek its welfare. And so we want to engage missionally. And as we heard last week, if the church gets this right, if we are firing on all cylinders, then our community will be flourishing. And so engaging missionally is not just what we do it's who we are as followers of Christ. So Ephesians 2:10 says, "For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has prepared beforehand for us to walk in them." And so we're not saved by our works, but a saving faith will work. We will love and care for our community. We'll be spurred on and motivated to be salt and light. And so it has also been said that good works creates goodwill which creates a platform for the good news. And so we know from uh, Matthew 5, 16, it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. So think one more time back to our friends Tia and Ruth and how these issues are not just election talk for Ruth. As she touched the immigration process, as she made her way from Nigeria here to the United States, And then as she was uh, confronted with an unexpected pregnancy and the other kids in her life that she needed to provide for and her husband's, uh, you know, reticence. And man, that could have taken a really dark turn. But for the body of Christ showing up and Tia specifically being the hands and feet. And then as she made her way to our clinics and access to health care, which became an intersection to bring the body of Christ around her in just a really uh, amazing way. And so this is These are real issues facing real people in our community today. And so today, as you heard Bruce talking, if your heart beat a little faster around the life issues and maybe uh, mentoring a woman with an unexpected pregnancy, man, jump in with us or to foster or to adopt. We've got opportunities for that. Or if, as Christy was talking about healthcare access and if you're a medical professional, of course we can put you to work. But even if you're not, There's 11,000 people coming through those clinics who want to know more about a relationship with Jesus. And so jump in with us. If you were hearing about immigration and international students who are being uh, educated and they want to know about our culture and Christian culture as they get ready to go back to their countries where they are gonna be influencers and leaders in places that we can't send teams and we can't get into those countries. But if you have a heart to befriend our international friends, there's a place for you. All you've got to do is go to watermark.org vote. We've made some really easy places for you to plug in and serve well beyond November 3rd. And so, gang, these are challenges, but they are also opportunities for the church to, to get to work. And so we have got to be crystal clear about our mission, which is to love mercy, to promote justice, and to walk humbly, Micah 6, 8 says. So let's get this right. Let's go church. Pray with me. So Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for just the reminder that these topics are real. Father, that you care about them. That you uh, encourage us to dive into your word. To understand your wisdom around these. Father, that you get us, give, us, give us means of grace to, to understand the nuances as we steward our vote. And Lord, that you just gave us an adventure as your people to be salt and light and hands and feet and to love people in really, really tangible ways. So Father, help us. You've said for those to ask wisdom, to ask and yet you will give without reproach. And so Father, we are asking uh, for this election coming up and for the, the months and years to follow that we would just be a faithful people, loving you and loving others well. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.